What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here. I am back with the Pitch Show, the show where I sit down and I share my thoughts with you and also the thoughts of whoever it is I have spoken with and decided to share that conversation as well. And this week, we have a good friend of mine, Haley Denbraver, joining the show um, in an interview. Haley is one of those people that I have enjoyed every conversation that I've had with her. And we finally decided to record one. So uh, hopefully we'll feel very comfortable as we talk kind of about the advocate journey and dealing with some accessibility stuff and how we try to cater to that. But before we do that, I want to talk about something that I have most certainly talked about before at least once. And uh, funny enough, I actually wrote this down. Uh, So you're about to hear my red thoughts, uh, followed by a little wrap up story time kind of thing. So without further ado, let's jump into this. Earlier this week, as I'm recording this on a Saturday night, I was listening to a podcast called Bookworm that my friends Mike and Joe do. Big shout out to them. I know I've promoted that show plenty of times before, Um, but they were talking about The Practice by Seth Godin, and Mike was discussing this idea of always be publishing, always be putting the stuff that you want to have out there, out there, like constantly do the work and let people observe. So many people have adopted this. It's not old. Uh, People have been putting out books that were originally blog posts. I I have friends that have done that. Uh, Podcasters have basically created an industry off of sharing their thoughts and opinions on things that have been happening in the news And we even have celebrity, you know, micro podcast influencer celebrity types where when a thing happens, we don't look at the CEOs and the mega super famous actors, actresses, uh, folks like that. We look to the people that have their ear to the ground and just have an opinion uh, shout out to the the tech crew around that. And even now as I'm reading slash riffing on this, I am asking you to pay me not with your funds unless you want to. And there's a link in the show notes to show how you can support all the work that I do. But in your time and attention... And in many ways, I'm doing that. I'm recording this as I'm speaking now to give me an excuse to actually get it off of my chest. And I'm sure that in many ways, there are two mindsets of people. There are the people that feel as if the words that they are saying, the thoughts that they are thinking are not important enough to put them down in any type of object permanence. And then there are the people that don't care and will just do it anyway and feel that they have some sort of pedigree that allows them to say these things with confidence, even if that is not the case. And then I I guess bonus round, there are those few people that are in the middle that don't feel as if they're qualified to do it, but choose to do it anyway. If I were to put myself in any category, that would probably be the one, like I think most of us listening to this uh, would agree. But lately I've been doing more getting things off of my chest and not in the terms of like what's on my mind or things like that, but Just the idea of doing a thing to do it, to no longer think about how or why I should do a thing, but to do it because I'm capable of doing it, and then to share those thoughts with no one but still record them. And a a great example of this is 
my entire static site generator system that I built render engine. Of course that is shared with everyone. People it's open source. You can do all that stuff with it. I'm not here to talk about that, but it came from an idea that I was frustrated with how things were, wanted to do something better, even though I wasn't technically qualified. So I would use the friendships that I have with people who I feel were qualified to help teach me how to do those things, therefore learning and then becoming qualified in the process. That was a mouthful. But even then, I've been trying to do a better job of documenting the process so that down the road I can understand why I did a thing and why I chose to do that thing in that manner. And you can't do that with just documentation. So I could write a blog post about this, but instead I just write it out on a piece of paper in my notebook and then close the paper or close the notebook and then after that, if I have other ideas, I write them down and outline them in my notebook as well. And then I outline those and, and, and more and more and more. And they keep spurning all these other ideas until finally I'm satisfied with myself. And I think I should probably publish this. But I don't go to my blog that I've worked so hard to write, including the engine that runs it. I instead take a photograph or I snap a picture of it with my iPhone and share it on Twitter saying like, Hey, here's my thoughts for anybody that cares. Now I know that people are going to be tired because I just spent five minutes explaining journaling to folks and then capping it off with the idea of, Oh, so what you journal and then you take a picture of it and then post it on the internet. Big whoop. But in that rambling, I hope that I have gotten all of this off of my chest. And I also hope that I have at least reminded you, if not encouraged you, to believe that your thoughts are important, even when they don't seem like it, even when no one outside of you, yourself, and whatever the third part of you would be, would care. It is important to get your thoughts down. Object permanence is a very powerful thing. In fact, we know a lot of the things that we do now about how the world works and how things are because someone had the forethought or the wherewithal to write it down so that we could later discover it and then verify those thoughts. And it's amazing to me that we often deem ourselves not worthy of being able to write things down, but yet cavemen and women, I'm not sure if there was a, a gender struggle there in terms of who got to write things on, you know, in blood, mud or whatever on the walls uh, so that we could later find them. I'm sure that they didn't worry about whether or not it was important. I'm sure more than anything, it was important because they were using it as a way to remind themselves of the very present. And that's the important piece here. So as I wrap up this, again, half red, half rift diatribe here, uh, I want to tell a story of a good uh I would call him still a friend, but uh, a brother in arms. Uh, at the time, he was a sergeant. I have no idea what he wound up leaving the Marine Corps as, so I'm going to call him sergeant, but uh, Sergeant Brasino. Uh, sergeant Brasino and I were both deployed out on the Mew. It's a Marine Expeditionary Unit. We were on a boat. And one of the things you learn about being on a boat is that your internet is always going to suck. So it was more valuable to have the knowledge devoted to memory than it was to have to try to Google for answers because it would take you literally forever. And if you were even worse deployed and you needed to discover an answer, you were just out of luck because you were responsible for setting up the internet, essentially. You were in charge of setting up the SATCOM connection that gained access to the internet. So you couldn't look things up. 
you had to have them devoted to memory or you had to have written them down. Now, Sergeant Brasino was one of the types where he would admit that he wasn't the most technical of leaders. And in fact, that was what made him such a good leader, in my opinion, was that he leaned on the technical um, proficiencies of those around him. But one thing he did better than anyone that I have ever met was he wrote everything down and could recall that data very quickly. When we would we would know how to do something, but we just needed a number. We just needed like, oh, what was that thing supposed to be called? Oh, what what were we going to name this? What was it, what did our architecture look like? We're missing a key piece. The entire like status of the mission often relied on the fascinating notes that Sergeant Brasino took. In fact, I wish I would have learned more from him in the art of writing things down. Granted, these were on notebooks. These were on, we called them green monsters, these little green notebooks, these mini log books. And there was no wiki linking. <laughs> there was no Zettelkasten. There was no Rome Research Notion, Obsidian, or Evernote. There technically was Evernote, but once you took it out into the field with you, you were kind of, you just hoped things worked properly. So it was interesting to see how this, this individual who, again, would agree that he wasn't the most technical, was one of the most useful people to have on a deployment with you because you knew that the notes were going to be efficient, they were going to be in-depth, and they were going to be accurate. And that at the end of the day, if you were ever not sure, you could rely on the things that were written down because one day they might be needed. So I hope that I've encouraged you to write things down. And I also encourage you to share them. I know that this is more important to talk about actually writing them down, but sharing them is also important too. Um, I'm trying to use this as a segue. Uh, my guest for this episode is someone who, in my opinion, does a wonderful job of sharing. The first time I ever met Haley was at North Bay Python, the uh, very first year they ever ran it. And she did a post-mortem on the Jurassic Park movie. Not necessarily like how the movie production went, but the movie itself, like the events that occurred within the movie. And use that to tie it into how we do incident response and security management uh, at the time as she was working for a tech security team. So... Without further ado, like I said, I hope I've inspired you to write. I hope I've inspired inspired you to share and at least document your thoughts, opinions, technical beliefs, ideas, and all of those great things. If you want another good source of inspiration for that, there is 43 Folders by Merlin Mann. Uh, he talks a lot about, you know, if you listen to any of his podcasts these days, uh, he will always go back to his random lists that he collects that I think most people think he's crazy. But hey, I, I kind of find comfort in the idea of like, let's just write everything down because you never know when you're going to need it. And when you do need it, you're going to be glad that you had it. And of course, because data is cheap. Sure, why not keep it in a note taking digital system of sorts? But for me, I like my notebook, so I'll continue to use that. But without further ado, again, I, I'm, I almost ran down another rabbit hole. Here it is, my conversation with Haley Denbraver. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Productivity in Tech podcast, the show where I sit down with somebody in the tech space that is just absolutely phenomenal, that is showing up and showing out every single day. And this week, is no exception. On the line with me today is someone that I met about three, three, four years ago. And what was interesting when I met them is that they worked for this island where dinosaurs, living dinosaurs roam the earth. 
And they were in charge of managing uh, an incident that had just occurred. And we might talk about that a little bit if we're not talking about time travel or um, becoming, uh, I forgot what the other one was, a detective um, or a hitchhiker in the galaxy. But I have one of the most amazing presenters that I've ever met, Haley Denbraver, on the line. Haley, how are you doing? I am excited because we don't get to to talk that much. And usually when we do, it's always like, Haley, your talk was so amazing. It was so great. So it's been good to sit down and just have a discussion, have a conversation. And I want to share that with my audience. Is that okay? That's awesome. Thanks for having me on, Jay. Awesome. Let everybody know a little bit more about you, what you're up to, and what are the, some of the things that you enjoy doing. So my name is Haley Dunbraver, and I am a Pythonista. I consider myself a Pythonista. That's my uh, home language, if you will, uh, within coding. And I have worked as a web developer. I've also worked in developer advocacy. And uh, I have built a little bit of a reputation as a non-traditional, creative, just strange conference talk giver. Um, (laughs) I think I can claim that at this point, uh, that that's my brand. And so... I love writing and speaking and coding interesting, weird projects and just having a lot of fun with code and community. Now, when you say like strange talks or like, (laughs) I would call them unique because the things that, that I've learned is your talks do one of the most important things, and that is keep your audience's attention. And I just, I wonder like what, what made you want to give that first, well, again, we'll call it unique talk. (laughs) Well, so um, the talk that I would consider my first like creative unique talk uh, was, I believe you were there. Uh, It was for, North Bay Python in 2018, I want to say. And basically, I come from a non-traditional or like not a computer science background, uh, but I had done a lot of work writing and just had been exposed to public speaking previously and had actually a little bit grown up on stage. It sounds weird, but I used to perform like six times a week as a kid. Oh, wow. Um, And yeah, uh, (laughs) it was a bit weird. Uh, But kind of the sum of that experience has been that I want to tell stories Uh, with my technical talks. And I think that they do a number of things. First, they show you as different uh, as a speaker. It's a differentiator. Um, People remember you. But then with the content, people remember the content. And that's uh, an important thing when you're thinking about giving a talk. And if you don't mind having some fun with it, leaning into something creatively. Uh, It's a lot easier for people to remember what you're saying, you know, uh, because we're all narrative people and you can remember a story (laughs) better than you can maybe remember a numbered list on a slide about, you know, a technical topic. And, this idea had kind of been bouncing around for a while and I had gotten a talk where uh, I was going to talk about Jurassic Park from the angle of engineering ethics and chaos engineering. And (laughs) I don't know if you do this, Jay, but 
the night before and the day of, I was furiously writing speaker notes in my slides and actually made the decision about 24 hours before the talk that I'd be doing it in character. And <laughs> it was a little scary um, to, to make that call, but uh, it ended up being the right one. And it ended up being memorable. And I still get people who will stumble on it and then reach out on Twitter. And that's a really weird experience, you know, but it's a story that resonated with them. And so I'm just really pleased that people received it well. So I, I wonder, all of your talks, at least the ones that I, I'm knowledgeable of, are based on books with a movie spin. Was that? Well, <laughs> so some of them are, but even uh, I have a talk on engineering ethics uh, that predates the Jurassic Park thing. And uh, in that one, it's, you know, given as myself and speaking from my perspective but I tell the story of the molasses flood in Boston and how it basically there was this big boiler of molasses and it was poorly engineered and it exploded and flooded Boston with molasses. And the it was this horrible, horrible thing. And the town was sticky and smelled the molasses for months. And uh, I had this visual image of going about my work and walking around the office, uh, sitting at my desk and tapping my foot and imagining that the floor is sticky with molasses and how that's like this visceral feeling and something you couldn't forget exactly. And how you should take that, that sort of feeling and apply ethics to it. Uh, that it's something that sticks with you, that you can't escape. Uh, that in the back of your head, you're always thinking about the product you're building and the implications. That sort of thing. Uh, so whether it's one of these creative talks or something that's more traditional tech talk, if you can find a way to create a picture in someone's head or to have them conjure a visual or auditory or sensorial like memory that associates with your talk, uh, then you're going to be remembered and your content is going to be impactful to someone. So uh, I like the movie talks best, but uh, even a more traditional talk, if you're able to find something within it and create a picture for your audience... Uh, that's that will serve you well uh, in your speaking career and in just building up a reputation of being an interesting speaker. You know, when you started mentioning the molasses flood in Boston and, yeah. and how everything was mm -hmm. sticky... Yeah. I was going to tell a terrible dad joke about them being in a sticky situation. <laughs> they really but were. And <laughs> I realized that might sap the energy out of this conversation. Oh, so. <laughs> see, you're a natural. You can do this. <laughs> no. Dad jokes are appreciated on the speaking circuit, too. <laughs> they are. I, I think to a certain uh -huh. level. I think that there's a decision that's made when you say I'm going to do something that isn't necessarily like 
not a safe practice or something like that, but something that no one has ever seen before, something yeah. that no one has thought about to do. And, and it seems like, in a way, the best conference talks do that. They don't just... There's some risk. Yeah, it's, it's not just talking about the problem. It's, let me put this in a way that everyone can relate to, even if you're not in the industry. And that was, that was where I was. I remember one, because you reminded me, but also because (laughs) you brought it up at another talk that I got to, to enjoy. Um, You've been struggling with a, a little bit of hearing loss. As someone who gives conference talks, how do you push through that knowing that a big part of giving talks, one is the prep work that's involved. So hearing yourself talk, which nobody enjoys, but I can imagine it's... Oh, it is. It's really yeah, weird. I can yeah. It's even harder <laughs> when there are hearing issues involved. But then also mm-hmm. the, the obvious problem of after you give a talk, people Mm -hmm. want to talk to you. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, you know, it's something that I have. Well, first, I've been really lucky in that it's severe enough that it impacts my life, but it's still really moderate, uh, really mild at this point. Um, But there have been a few kind of strange things that I've learned through this. Uh, first is that, well, I think in the past I had seen captions at conferences and thought, oh, that's cool. I'm glad they're doing it. But that was basically the, the extent of the issue um, or that was all the mental power that I, or mental attention, I gave that. Uh, But I remember about this time last year, I gave my Jurassic Park talk uh, at JSConf US, and they had uh, captions, uh, transcript, or uh, I'm not sure, is that the right word? But they had someone transcribing it in real time. They had a stenographer. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever it was, there's a big screen where uh, the speaker's words would be projected and it was nice and big. So like you could sit right up next to it or you could sit with your friends elsewhere and still read it. And um, I remember sitting there and watching someone talk and see these words and I kind of cried (laughs) because I'm not necessarily at the point where I needed that just yet but i knew that that was probably somewhere in my future and it just meant a lot to me that uh they had dedicated um money and resources and manpower to this uh and it's weird because it's not an extra thing these sorts of accommodations Uh, They really should be standard uh, so that everyone has the same access to the experience. But it is something that, although you're seeing more and more, um, I still feel like it's the exception instead of the rule. And... um, so, so uh, So the first thing is that I saw... Um, where maybe conferences could step up. And then second is <laughs> that I learned how to advocate for myself. And uh, that has taken the form of things like uh, telling conferences that I'm not going to take questions. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, questions, it's a, it's a debated subject because sometimes you get uh the people who have a comment, not a question, or, you know, are trying to show off. You've ever yes. seen that, Jay? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so questions can be a bit of a minefield for everybody. Um, but I just figured it like wasn't good for me. Um, at least not in like a many to one format. Uh, and so on a, like a public level, I would set boundaries but then on like the one to one level, um, <laughs> I have this button and it says, you know, uh, deaf in my left ear, which is a bit of an exaggeration. It's not fully deaf or anything, but it like I'll wear that. And then when I lean in with my right ear, <laughs> it's not weird, <laughs> you know, um, and I've just found small ways to make it work for me, but it pushes you outside of your comfort zone. And it's not something that I expected uh, would be something that I think about when I'm going to a conference. Uh, but yeah. And then the third thing, <laughs> it's kind of weird, but my voice has slowed down and has become clearer, actually, <laughs> which is weird but I think it's because uh, I really appreciate it when people speak slower and enunciate and don't mumble. And I hadn't realized I was doing it until I had a colleague tell me. Uh, and he was a, I don't believe English was his first language. And so he's like, oh, it is so nice to hear you speak, Haley, because you take the proper time so I can always understand you. And I think that has been a gift um, for my speaking, if that makes sense. But it was something I didn't expect. So there's a lot that, mm -hmm. in my mind, I feel like now is mm -hmm. quite obvious for me, like mm -hmm. we, we talked about this a little bit before we recorded, like I, I grew up with someone who had mm -hmm. hearing problems. They were 100% deaf. Uh -huh. So for me, taking, I guess, inconveniencing myself for mm -hmm. them didn't mm -hmm. really seem like much because it was something that I was so. Something you were used exactly. to. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember now, I'm going to do the terrible thing of researching live. Um, there's a YouTube channel that I follow. I'll, I'll add a link in the show notes to their channel, but it is a couple where one, they both speak sign language, but one member of the couple is completely deaf or mostly deaf. I don't think he's completely deaf, but there was a conversation about having everyone turn on closed captioning for, yeah, for their videos Be because he, he doesn't speak. And, and he mentions like, he says, people hate the sound of their own voice. I can barely hear the sound of my own voice. And it's degraded as I've lost my hearing. So why would I want to put myself through that when everyone else can just turn on captioning? And I think about that in ways of like, there's so many benefits. When you when you think about accessibility, when you yeah. think about, um, I'm trying to remember who did, there was another talk that was given at the conference that we went to that talked about that of like visual accessibility and making design choices with accessibility in mind. And like, there are so many benefits on eye strain reduction and, and so many yeah. things that if we just started saying, you know what, I'm going to put accessibility at the front of my projects and not at the back end or as an afterthought that not only allows more and more people to consume my content, right. 
but the content itself becomes better for it. The example that occurs to me is, so I love Animal Crossing. That's been my pandemic thing um, <laughs> on the Switch. And uh, you play this game and, uh, you know, you're going fishing or you're shooting down balloons from the air. Uh, and they have built a really beautiful auditory world. Like, it's clear that they took a lot of time uh, to invest in how the world sounds. Uh, but there are a few things where the auditory cue is the best cue the player has for um, something that they may want. And, um, you know, that's cool if you're hearing. Uh, I struggle with it <laughs> where I would have to turn it up all the way up to hear it. And at this point, I can still do it. It's fine. Um, but you know what? Sometimes even a hearing person is playing the game in a situation in which they would have the sound off. Like, maybe your baby's asleep or, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're commuting. And so if they had something beyond that auditory cue... Like, that would be excellent for me, but it's also excellent for everyone else, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's what I think about. There's also a level of thought that has to go into it. And I'm only mm -hmm. thinking about this now because I have a beta on one of my laptops and there's yeah. a big change in the sounds that... <laughs> <laughs> the notification sounds like there's a whole family of them and some of them are fine, but some of them mm -hmm. don't convey the right feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if I'm deleting yeah. something, I want a clear and obvious indicator that I have deleted something. That way I can go, oh, mm -hmm. no, I wasn't supposed to do that. Or or the trash can exactly. sounds. I don't I don't yeah. need like a a pong or a ping to do that. Like, I, I need the sound of like, you just messed up. You deleted something. Don't do that. Um, so for me, I, I want and wish for more people to focus on what they can do. And I love that. Uh -huh. One of the things that you did was you took the considerations of others and the consideration for your own, I don't like to call them disabilities, but. Yeah, there's a yeah. whole debate on that, but, you know. <laughs> you, of your own situation. Or just my yeah, needs. Your own needs. Yeah. And you were doing things that are often considered good practice for speakers. Like the idea yeah. of talking slow, like. As someone who listens yeah. to a lot of podcasts, as someone who records a lot of podcasts, I have to fight the urge not to just talk fast and <laughs> ramble. And the thing that helps with conversational podcasts is, you know, many great interviewers, even like television level interviewers will say is, one, if you're the interviewer, and I'm breaking this rule right now, you need to uh -huh. pose your question, <laughs> make it clear, and then stop talking <laughs> and, let, and let your <laughs> guests do all the work because you you serve as the break in the conversation, yeah. not the rambling piece. And mm -hmm. the other thing with that is, like you said, talking slowly, making sure that you are not just providing time for people to understand what you just said, but mm -hmm. for people who visually need you to enunciate that they yeah. can see, hear, and process and then, and take that extra time that's needed. And I think for me, like just knowing that you have to rely on that yourself will make you yeah. a better speaker overall. So one thing I have started to do, at least I try, 
is, uh, okay, all the speakers out there, it's really great practice to tweet about or post your slides ahead of time. Uh, this is good so people can follow along visually. But an extra step that I like to take when possible is to actually print out not just the slides, but my speaker notes. Uh, because if there are relevant um, points or things that I'm going to talk about versus it's apparent on the slide, someone with those speaker notes, um, it's going to be easier for them to follow along uh, if they maybe have hearing loss or, uh, I mean, really, it could be anything, you know, <laughs> and sometimes it's just nice. Uh, it's like you're back in college and you have notes in front of you, uh, you know, so good for everybody. And it means that you as a speaker get your speaking notes and your slides done well in advance, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is something good for everybody. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just my sin. <laughs> Let people know where people can go to find you and to see your talks, to to connect with you and whatever you want. So this is now your opportunity to plug and talk about anything. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. Uh, so you can find me probably most easily on Twitter. My username is Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y, Den, D-E-N, and B, B. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. You can follow me there if you like pictures of my lab puppy. Uh, that's primarily what it is right now. Uh, <laughs> but I'm always happy to chat with people there. And um, if you want to see one of my talks, I am a terribly Googleable person. Um, because my last name is kind of weird. So uh, see the show notes for my name. Google that, and I'm sure uh, there'll be videos that pop up. Uh, and just thank you, Jay. I've really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's all the plugging I have to do. You've been listening to my conversation with Haley Denbraver. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Again, I, I implore you, write those things down, take notes, share your thoughts, share your opinions, even if it's just writing it down on a piece of paper and taking a photo of it and putting it on Twitter. I do that more than people realize. But uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Not sure what we've got going on for the holidays. I've got a few more episodes that I want to get out. And then at the beginning of the year, uh, yeah, I've got to figure that out because stuff is going to be changing, moving, shifting, doing, I don't know. Uh, stuff's going to be happening all over the place, and I want to make sure that I'm ready for it. Uh, by the way, I did not mention this at the beginning because I totally forgot. Ask a Brit, the show that I do with my friend Jamie, is back for season two in this time. He is asking me the questions. We would change the name to ask a yank, but I'm from the South. That doesn't make sense. And also we already got all the domains and stuff set up. So yeah, no reason to do all that. So if you want to find out about that, um, go to my website, kjaymiller.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter, kjaymiller. Uh, all of those good things. Of course, you can support me however you want. Uh, thumbs ups and likes and follows and telling your friends and all those good things. I do this for me, not for you. So Ultimately, you do what you want. I'm going to do what I want. And uh, last but not least, thank you to Haley for being such an amazing guest. In a few seconds, you're going to be hearing her again as she asked me questions. I think at this time it was probably regarding moving into developer advocacy because we recorded this around that time uh, when I was about to start my new job. And yeah, that's going to be it for this week. I can't wait to share more insights and thoughts with you. But until next week. I've been Jay Miller. I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you later. So are you excited about being a developer advocate? I 
There are no words that can express how excited <laughs> there are no words. Like, <laughs> this Yay! Week has been like when I say that the the thing that I've been working towards. Uh-huh. At that first conference that we went, the first conference that I saw you speak was the first conference I'd ever gone to, and I yeah. I had had wow. lunch with Heidi Waterhouse, and she's mm-hmm. a developer advocate for Launch Darkly, and uh, really awesome, really mm-hmm. awesome lady in tech that. If you're not following and you're listening to this, shame on you. You should go follow. Um, but uh, we had lunch and she was just telling me about the stuff that she does. And I was like, wow, that's a job? Like, you can do that? <laughs> yeah. So since I knew that that existed, I knew that the podcasting skills, I knew that the public speaking skills would be a really strong point. But at that time, I had never held a developer job. So like, I mm-hmm. felt like I... I didn't shock the world as much as I shocked myself because I had been told that you need to be a developer, preferably a senior developer, mm-hmm. to become a developer advocate. Yeah. And I was yeah. able to achieve that status without doing those things. That first. And yeah. I understand that it, it it's not that like I just kind of coasted in. Like, I feel like I went mm-hmm. the hard way. Like, I did all of the <laughs> development work in my spare time and podcasted yeah. and live streamed and did all of that stuff. And I was just fortunate that a company was willing to take a chance on me. Well, you know, it's interesting. As a dev advocate, you wear a lot of hats. And uh, I know you're joining a team. And, you know... As a team, you just kind of lean into your strengths. And uh, so I think you're right that it is kind of different to not have had a senior developer job first. But I think you bring something to the table and I'm really psyched for you, Uh, you know, and it's just exciting, like programming in your spare time is still programming, you know, (laughs) and uh think or I'm just really excited for you. I don't know if you have had similar experience, but I've just been really excited whenever I've seen a friend or a colleague or just just someone in my circle. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this year, but if something good happens to a friend, um Normally, I would be excited, but I'm like extra excited. And so I saw your tweet that you, you got a dev advocate job. And I was like, yeah, good for Jay. Um, it's so nice. Someone got a win, you know. Um, so I'm just really psyched for one you. Of, one of the things uh, with that, though, uh-huh. is there were there are so many people that were in mm-hmm. my corner that we're helping with that. I mean, even yeah. as so- something as simple as meeting with someone and them giving me a business card and saying, look, just apply, like, which was something that yeah. you had done. And I, I, in my mind, I felt inadequate to, to do that. But mm-hmm. yet I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Cause I mean, if, yeah, no, let someone else yeah. tell, you no. don't tell exactly. yourself. No, you and know? Yeah. Given how terrible this year has been, across the board for mm-hmm. many different reasons. Yeah. It felt good to like, to be honest, like it was weird at first because it felt like it was like a diversity thing for so long. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I had friends that hadn't talked to me since the last time an African-American had been shot by police. And part mm-hmm. of me was like not wanting to hear it. And then Mm-hmm. I started hearing from people that I hear from on a regular basis that were yeah. like just taking it a step higher. Like, I, I think there was mm-hmm. a tweet from Jeff that was literally like, by the way, this guy's <laughs> looking for a job. He's awesome. I've worked with him. He asks really good questions, hire him. And here's things he would be good for. And I'm just like, I, mm-hmm. I didn't ask for mm-hmm. any of this. Why are you doing this to me? And then I get like a bunch of like DMs after that. And I'm like. Yeah, you know, for the trash fire that Twitter can be, um, I feel like 
there is a corner of Twitter that is rooting for your job search. Yeah, job you know? search Twitter is very <laughs> supportive. It it surprised me because i i've been through this too um but it's that's just really cool it's uh cool to see people advocating for you and um opening their network and um you know in job searching it's a two-way street so um you know you're looking for the right gig but someone else is looking for the right person. And it's just really nice when there's a match and when um, the community can help make that happen. So that's just cool. Yeah. Let's see. Um, (laughs) So what is the one thing you'll never forget about 2020 so far? We'll we'll take off the other than getting the job because that one that one's okay, that one's gonna be fair. there. Um, <laughs> I think giving my first bad talk, <laughs> oh. like mm-hmm. the Pie Beach talk, it was okay. I I had been sick. Luckily, I found out it was not mm-hmm. COVID. Like I think I had the flu before, oh, good. which I mean it's probably even worse. Yeah. Because then I had to get up and talk. But mm-hmm. um, I had been sick. We had gotten very little notice about the talk or about the, the schedule yeah. and, and everything yeah, yeah. else. Weren't you I first? I was first or and something? did not know I was going to be oh, first goodness. until I got there. <laughs> That's hard. That's hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> as they're setting up the projector, they're like, oh, Jay, if you want to go ahead and plug up your your stuff you're gonna be first i'm like as i go what what now (laughs) oh man so but at the same time like being able again taking a lot of inspiration from from amazing talks before me and in the past like yours um (laughs) which i didn't even know you were speaking at the same conference Mm -hmm. i was excited when i saw that but in my mind, I was like, this is not like there's I cannot make this an amazing talk. I can only make this a good enough mm-hmm. talk. And yeah. just getting it to that point was a challenge. I feel like I rose to that challenge. And I also realized that by doing that, like not every of course, when you're performing on a regular basis, not every performance is going to be amazing. But yeah, yeah. when you're only giving like, you know, one talk every year, like it's hard mm-hmm. to remember that. And ultimately, I let a lot of the the content that I put in the talk speak for itself because I still had mm-hmm. a lot of people asking questions and wanting to have that conversation which again when you're sick that's like the worst thing ever you're like please it's hard like yeah (laughs) but i realized that i think people's expectations of you versus your expectations of yourself are so Mm -hmm. unbalanced that if you give a decent talk to a lot of people they will be like that was a pretty good talk May not be the best talk in the mm-hmm. world, but it, it was good enough. Like it was, it was, it'll work. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, um, I don't know if it's a Python bubble thing, but I feel like audiences have been really supportive within uh, the Python conferences I've been to. And uh, yeah, you know, you're not always going to hit a home run but did you die? No. Uh, you live to speak again. And and you yeah. do, you learn what works and what doesn't work so that you can you can oh, give for that sure. same talk again and and make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was not happy with my Pie Beach talk either, <laughs> to be honest. And then a couple weeks later, uh I gave it again at Pie Tennessee and was much more uh 
or I felt better about it. And, uh, you know, as you work as a developer advocate, um, I think you really gain a muscle to like shake it off a little bit if something didn't go a plus plus and, um, and it's kind of a weird process because the first time you give a talk, uh, there's all this fear or pressure. Um, so getting to the point where you can step back a little bit and be okay when things aren't a plus plus, like that's, that's a good skill. Um, but, uh, it is kind of weird to be stepping into a dev advocacy position while no one is traveling <laughs> yeah. or, <laughs> or attending uh, events in person. <laughs> I, I think that that played to my strengths more than anything. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> because. Or because you've been doing podcasting. And... Exactly. I had podcasted. Mm -hmm. I had interviewed, you know, plenty of developer advocates in the past. Um, yeah. I was live stream at the time I was live streaming every single day. Like I'm just going to oh man, write code at eight o'clock at night when I'm exhausted from a day job. And dude, how would you be scared of anything if you're used yeah. to that? Wow. That so, terrifies me <laughs> going through all of that. And then like when the questions of like, well, how, how would you perform this role knowing that you're not going to be able to travel until 2020. Travel much yet. Like, well, the sure. thing is, Twitch is growing. Developers yeah. are looking for something to preoccupy them while they're at their <clears throat> day job. Why can't it be us? Why can't we be informing people and helping them make decisions in their day job while we're also advocating for the company? And... Mm -hmm. They were just like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I just I just looked at what I was doing because like at my day job, I was like, sure. I need help figuring this out. Let me see who's online and ask questions. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I need more people like this that I can that, you know, are available to answer questions and, and help people out. And and if even if they don't know the mm -hmm. answer, just be like, hey send me an email and I'll get you in touch with someone on our team that might have a better answer and be able to do that. So right. it, I, I think that helped, but I also made sure that they realized like, now look, once the, once the door is open again, <laughs> I do want to travel. Like I don't want to be little just bit, yeah. doing this. <laughs> yeah. My, my hope is that this weird little corner of tech is a little more balanced after the, um, once things are more open, you know, and because uh, burnout can be a problem, you know, and if things are, there's interesting things that can be done from home and interesting people to meet out on the road, like that'll be a win-win hopefully sometime next year. <laughs> we'll <Yeah>. see. <laughs> um, I'll be traveling to only Europe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll have to travel two weeks in advance just to make sure I'm good. Mm -hmm. And hold up in a hotel and just, you know. oh man. Um, well, uh, so what are you excited about for 2021? I am ready for comfort, like in in mm -hmm. a role, like that's. Mm -hmm. This whole thing has felt like baseball to me. We're like, huh. the first time you strike out, it's going to suck. The first time you hit a home run, it's going to feel amazing. And there's going to be a bunch of instances in between that are kind of, you know, hard to deal with. Because I, I could see where, like, if I'm not, if I don't feel like I'm doing a good job, you can slowly mm -hmm. get into a slump. Whereas if you feel like yeah. you're just like crushing it every single day, like, you know, that that can also have its own uh, benefits, but also its own downsides. Because when you do mess up, finally, it's going to be like, oh, it's going to be like, you know, a gut check. So I want time to have passed to where 
you know you're going to hit home runs, you know you're going to strike out, and you know you're going to hit a bunch of singles and doubles and and just be okay with, okay, that thing uh-huh. happened. Here's what I learned from it. How do we do better? And let's just keep practicing and just keep going. I, yeah. Yeah, I think you'll yeah. get there. I mean, that, yeah. that for me, that's it. Because, I mean, right now, like, life in general is just kind of moving. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're... We're just going like my daughter's at one of those strange ages where like at two, she is so much Mm -hmm. fun. At three, I don't know what to expect. (laughs) So I'm (laughs) guessing it's just going to be more, more curiosity and things like that. So, I mean, that's, that's going to be something interesting too. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. wondering how that's going to look when I start traveling. Um, I know that I take her with me all the time, but you know, I might, I might Mm -hmm. try to. If I can find conferences that have childcare, that that might be something that I look into. Yeah, that's one thing I like about PyCon uh, is that they have that option uh, for people. And I know personally people who have been that wouldn't have gone otherwise, you know, so it's good to see that happen. Um, So let me think. You know, I don't think I have more questions, but I did really enjoy talking to you today, Jay. Awesome. 